Hello there, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Inside Intercom. On this week's show, we're featuring an interview we recorded a few weeks back with two of our customer support leaders. Our host today is Global Customer Support Director, Caitlin Pedersen, a familiar voice to regular listeners of the podcast. You'll hear her in conversation with Ryan Steinberg, Intercom's Head of Global Support Operations. Their discussion unsurprisingly covers a lot of ground, from how support teams can use the various levers at their disposal to ensure they're providing an empathic customer support experience, even when using automation, to the very future of customer support. It's a really interesting chat, which we hope you'll enjoy. And if you do, we'd love if you left us a review. It really helps to spread the word about our show. And now let's head over to the studio and hear from Caitlin and Ryan. Ryan, welcome to Inside Intercom. We're so happy to have you here today to talk about how you and your team have helped us scale intercom support experience with automation. So before we dive into that, can you give a really quick background on your role here at Intercom and how we work together? Sure thing, Caitlin. Thank you for having me. Uh, So I've been with Intercom for a little over four and a half years now. Started off as a frontline customer support representative, talking to our customers, and about a year in, I moved into an operations role, uh, something I was super comfortable with. I studied econometrics in college, so was like very much into the numbers game, I guess you could call it. Uh, so have been doing that for you know about three, three and a half years now. Um, the sort of start of that role was that we we're relying on intercom reporting, which wasn't all that robust. So we needed people to go into our databases, into Redshift and start, you know, writing SQL queries to pump out more information so we could really up our game as an operation. So started off doing that, got more involved in processes and all that sorts of stuff. And to this day, uh, we have our, or right now, we have a team of four people around the world. We have three people in San Francisco and uh, one person in Dublin who rolled to me and our support operations team. And now we're covering everything on the operations side of things. So uh, automation, obviously, which we're going to talk about, but reporting, individual metrics, team metrics, uh, headcount planning, forecasting, all that fun stuff. And then, you know, the little things, all the little processes that sort of run throughout the day, we're also involved in. So it's been a hell of a run, but uh, very excited to still be here and excited to talk to you today. Yeah, as a support director, I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that we could absolutely not live without our support operations team. And it's been so wonderful to see not only you and your role continue to grow, but to see you building a team around it and the huge impact uh, that that's had. So focusing in on automation, uh, optimizing the support experience for a company like Intercom that's scaling so fast is a challenge and and one that we have uh, certainly felt Let's have you share some of the challenges that we've faced, sort of broadly speaking, as we start to look towards, you know, this focused area of automation. Sure. Yeah. Uh, So when I joined the intercom support team, we had 14 people on the team spread out across two different offices in Dublin and San Francisco. We ramped up pretty quickly as intercom added, you know, boatloads of customers over the years and actually added you know, two more offices in Sydney and Chicago and got the team up to a little bit over 100 people at one point. So scaling along the way, there are a ton of challenges, probably the biggest of which is just how the hell do you communicate to you know, 6x the people that you were talking to previously, 7x. Uh, so there's a lot of that relying on Slack, relying on intercom sort of within the team communication technologies that we have. So yeah, communication was probably the biggest one. But then you know, as you increase the operation, 
we're segmenting our customers, we're segmenting internally. So there's all these different operational nuances that we need to, to really dig into and, and hone in on. So focusing a lot on that. The biggest problem that we sort of faced as an operation though, was that for the longest time, we were basically adding customer support heads in lockstep with our customer growth. So you know, for every X number of customers that we added, we were adding another person on the CS team. So uh, one of the big things that we focused on, you and me, Caitlin, over the past uh, year and a half or so, uh, maybe even two years, has been trying to decouple the rate in which we're adding heads with the rate in which we're adding customers. And a lot of that has to do with automation. And a lot of that has to do with the tiny little efficiency wins that you can find throughout the operation, obviously focusing more on the former today. Absolutely. So you recently wrote a blog post that talked about how automation helped save us at Intercom a whole bunch of money, $400,000 to be exact, which is not nothing. So, you know, this really allowed our support team to increase our efficiency at scale. So would love to have you talk to us, Ryan, about the automation strategies we've used and how they've helped us to achieve these exciting outcomes like $400,000 saved. Definitely. So for a long time, the only bit of, of real sort of uh, customer-facing automation that we had was this thing called article suggestions, which was a bit of machine learning that basically read through what your customer was writing into you about, read through all of the different help center articles that you have, and tried to suggest ones that might be appropriate for your customers trying to resolve that conversation without a human. So for a long time, we had that. That was resolving without a human about 0.5% to 1% of all of our conversations. In August of 2018, now it's, it's, it's strange to say that it's been so long now, but we released this thing called Resolution Bot, which basically allows you as a support team to take some of your most commonly asked questions, create sort of boilerplate canned responses, and then using a very similar sort of machine learning model, read through all of the different things that your customers are saying to you and trying to match those pre-canned responses to uh, what your customers are asking you about. So not just throwing articles at them, but also just proactively trying to answer those common questions. Things like, you know, how do I change my email or where do I change my profile picture? Stuff like that. The simple sort of uh, easy transactional, how do I type questions. It's really, really good at solving. So from there, we sort of bucketed these two things together into a metric called ROAR, which stands for Rate of Automated Resolution. I love acronyms. I have some beef with Elon Musk about it. Uh, you can talk to me about that later if you want to. But we created this thing called ROAR, which basically looks at, of all the conversations that support was going to have a hand in, what percent of those are being resolved automatically by a piece of automation without a human ever stepping in? So this is end-to-end sort of resolution of customer questions. Uh, and I'm happy to report that with Resolution Bot and with a bunch of really cool updates that we made recently, we are up north of 4%. So between 4 and 5% week to week, which if you're doing the math, that basically translates to around four heads on our team. Uh, all of these numbers are sort of approximate, but it's around four heads that we uh, didn't have to hire um, which translates to, if you're using the most sort of conservative, fully loaded uh, sort of cost of an employee, it's around $400,000, $100,000 per head. So that is money that we saved last year when we were at 4%. It's money that we're going to save this year at 4%, if not higher. And then the great thing about it is it continues on every single year. So that's $400,000 that we saved last year, this year, next year, you know, to infinity beyond, I guess. 
<laughs> I guess what's really exciting about, well, two things. One, how much do we love the acronym ROAR? Cue so many fun inside jokes and hilarity related to that. So big fan of ROAR. Uh, what's also interesting and touched on in a separate episode of Inside Intercom about Resolution Bot is we were pretty skeptical that uh, this bot was going to be able to have a meaningful impact on our customer experience, our team, and our ability to scale because the breadth and depth of our product offerings and the variety of customers using our products is just so vast in that perhaps Resolution Bot would be better suited uh, for a business with just a narrower focus and thus a narrower set of uh, customer questions. But even at 4%, and we continue to watch this number grow, and we're really putting some efforts and human power behind growing that, and we'll touch on that in a bit, you know, we'll take $400,000. So even at 4%, you know, it was really exciting for us to have been so pleasantly surprised at the the meaningful impact um, that this could have. So can you talk to us a little bit about, so we got to 4%, we're continuing to try to improve it, but how did, how did we get to that 4%, right? So how did we leverage this tool internally and how might some of Intercom's customers or resolution bot users do the same? Yeah, sure. Uh, The big sort of lever that we have is our product team, obviously they're constantly working on this, tweaking the models to make them better. So that's been a big help. Thank you to the product team on that. Uh, But internally, in terms of how we operationalize these things, uh, we did two things. So the first one was that we had all these different individuals around the world, uh, different managers, different individual contributors that know the product really well, that know our customers really well and know their questions really well. So the first thing that we did after we released this resolution bot was have these individual contributors sort of work in a functional team to create new answers, update old answers if the product is changing, work with our marketing team and our product team when we're releasing new features. So uh, you know, on the day of release, we have all the right information to answer people's questions automatically. So that group of you know, over time, probably like 40 of the 80 ICs that we have, have been involved in this this uh, resolution bot special team, as we like to call it. So they've been a big help. Uh, more recently, though, starting the end of last year, we actually hired somebody full-time on my team, this wonderful ex-support person at Intercom. His name is Garrett O'Callaghan, and he works in Dublin. And he is really focusing in on all of our automation technologies. So he's the person who's sort of heading up that special team, helping people get the information that they need to tweak old answers, create new ones to resolve customer conversations. So he's doing that in addition to working with the product team on, you know, these are the pieces of information that I think it would be beneficial for me and our customers to have to improve things. So he's been really digging in there and sort of exemplifying what our VP of sales and support, LB, likes to say, which is focus breeds excellence. So he's really digging in there uh, every single day and seeing some pretty incredible results. We've seen about a, a you know half a percent, one percent lift since he joined uh, my team back in November. It's great. I was actually going to use the same quote. It's wonderful. So focus certainly has bred excellence for us here, but really we're just getting started. I can't wait to circle back six, 12, 24 months from now and see with, you know, one dedicated experienced person focused in this area where we can continue to drive wins. Yeah. And we're, we're very confident about that. Both Garrett and myself and talking with the product team and seeing sort of the opportunities that we have ahead we're feeling very good that we can get that number up from 4% to 7% by the end of the year. And we're, we're making very good progress in the beginning of this year so far. So fingers crossed, but I'm very hopeful. So Ryan, 
As you and I both know, uh, it's generally believed that faster is better when it comes to support, specifically around response times. I think we know that as people that live and breathe support here at Intercom, but also as consumers and customers ourselves. And so, you know, response time, very important across the board, but certainly when looking at metrics like customer satisfaction or CSAT and the impact that CSAT can then have on business metrics like retention, conversion, activation, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So we took a look, a closer look at this last year and kind of challenged this notion of faster is better in every situation all of the time, given our need to scale and sort of that linear growth of both our customer base and our headcount. So can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, how we approach challenging this notion of faster is better and the impact that that had on our business? Yeah, definitely. So a couple of years ago now, I ran this big analysis looking at, it was over 100,000 conversations at that point, looking at what impact the various different time-based metrics actually have on the customer experience using CSAT as a proxy. And what we found was that among the first response times, the subsequent response times, so how quickly we're getting back to a customer after that first response, and then on time to close, the two metrics that really mattered the most were subsequent response time and time to close. And doing a little bit more research, what we realized here is that at the end of the day, expectation setting is the name of the game here. So so long as you're properly setting expectations with your customers around how long they need to wait to get their support question first answered, so that first response time. Uh, So long as the conversation moves pretty quickly after that point, so those subsequent response times are fast, and the time to close is pretty quick after the first response time, customers actually don't mind waiting as long for a first response. So we saw that research, we knew those numbers, and what we really wanted to do is actually test this out with some of our customers. So what we actually did is we took about 20,000 of our customers and chopped them up into two groups. One was going to get the normal support experience, which is around a two to three hour first response time. And the second group was going to get a one business day experience. So typically around 24 hours. And we ran this test for about six months, had many, many tens of thousands of conversations with these customers. And what we found was was very, very interesting uh, and very much in line with the research that we previously found, which was that when it came to the the two to three hour first response time versus the one business day first response time, CSAT was only 1% lower. So for us internally, it was a difference of 96.5% happy to 95.5% happy, which is a 1% drop, but uh, we were very comfortable with so long as the, the, you know, the bigger picture business metrics held up. And I'm happy to report that those also held up, which is that when we looked at customer retention between the two groups, there was a less than 5% difference in the two. And when it came to uh, net revenue retention, uh, there was actually no difference between the two groups, which was you know, a phenomenal, if not surprising result, that there was actually no difference between the two. So with that, we've sort of rolled this out to some of our lower spend customers. And we're continuing to experiment with looking at you know when customers actually need fast support versus when we can give them a little bit slower of a first response time. I think that's right. And you talked about spend there. And I think helpful to share that in line with this automation strategy, you know, in parallel to that, we've been talking a lot, a lot about segmentation, both segmentation of our customer base, segmentation of our teams, specialization on our teams. And so this is an evolving experience, both in automation, segmentation, et cetera. But, you know, spend is certainly one way to look at it, but we've also talked about, you know, where in the life cycle is the customer to your point? Are they, are they, 
in need of activation? Is this a newer customer? So that's sort of a whole separate podcast episode, but uh, interesting to think about in line with the automation conversation. Yeah, so- we're very excited about the the automation potential here too. You know, with that experiment, the only thing that we were chopping people up by is, you know, how much are they spending? And, you know, that's basically it. So what we really want to do in the future is take information about, you know, where in the customer journey is that customer, like you said, but also more importantly, what are they actually asking about? Uh, Because at the end of the day, you know, someone who is paying us, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, if all they're writing in about is a simple feature request, we probably don't need to give them a super speedy first response so long as expectations are set there. And on the other side of the spectrum, you know, if somebody is on our early stage program and really only paying us, you know, $50 a month, if they're telling us that the API is down or that there's like a P1 issue, we probably want to get back to them pretty quickly despite the fact that you know they aren't paying us all that much because that issue in that moment is really impactful and really important to them so finding that line between you know customer attributes and conversation attributes that's sort of the next stage of this experiment and automation and bots can even be helpful to us and to others there so just before we continue with today's episode i wanted to let you know about offscript It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. You know, one thing uh, that you and I both know uh, that Intercom cares a lot about is keeping our support personal. Our mission, of course, um, is all about being personal and keeping internet business personal. So we're thinking about how how and what that looks like in support, even as we scale and we introduce things thought uh, historically to be impersonal, such as automation, chatbots. So in your opinion, would love to hear from your perspective, do you think that automation can ever be personal? And what does being personal even mean today when it comes to this ever-evolving space of support and customer service? The amount that I've evolved and Intercom has evolved over the years on this particular sort of what is personal support question is is pretty fascinating. So when I first joined, the thing that we were sort of taught and that we all bought into is that personal support means that you are talking to a human at the other end that, you know, respects your time, 
but you can have a good time with. You can send GIFs back and forth with or GIFs back and forth with, uh, depending who you ask. Uh, you can send emojis with. You can build a real one-to-one sort of personal relationship, whether that's over time or just in that simple interaction that you have around a support question. But over the years, what we've kind of realized with this rise of automation, you know, we are sort of in the trough of despair when it comes to our disillusion, disillusionment. Despair is a little heavy. Trough of disillusionment <laughs> when it comes to chatbots. But what we realized over the years is that automation is actually a super personal way to provide support and that it fundamentally means that you are thinking about the time that your customers have to spend in trying to get their answers to the questions that they have about your product. So if a piece of support automation can step in and answer somebody's question in 30 seconds, you know, 10 times faster than any human could possibly do it, they didn't talk to another human being. They didn't build any sort of personal connection with an individual on your support team, but you respected their time as, you know, as an individual. They got their question answered. They moved on with their day and did, you know, continue to use your product in a more effective manner than if they had talked to a human there. So there are these particular situations in which there's a simple question or a simple ask in which support automation can actually provide a far more personal experience by respecting somebody's time more than a human possibly could. Absolutely. So to get a little tactical in this space, what advice do you have for companies like Intercom that want to build an automated support experience that pays off for both their team, their business, but also their customers? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think there are three sort of categories that support automation falls into and what it can be good at. So the first one is really simple. It's routing. It's, you know, somebody writes in and they use keywords X, Y, and Z, and you need to route those to, you know, team A. Really good at that. It can read the text. It can pass it along very effectively, far more quickly and far more effectively than any human possibly could. So that's really good. And that's been around for, you know, decades now. The second one is assisting. So again, this comes back to like that expectation setting piece that's on the customer end. But there's also, you know, internally letting people know information about a customer, collecting information from the onset. If somebody is writing in about a problem that you know you need this information and that information about it, a bot can be really good at asking those questions and putting your support reps, the people who are actually talking to these customers after the bot is finished, in the best position to solve this thing quickly so that when your customer actually gets in touch with the human, they're not there asking questions, they're there providing answers to the questions that you've already asked via this bot. And then finally is this like solving piece, I guess you could call it, which is that you know support automation via that metric roar that I mentioned can actually solve questions faster and more effectively than any human possibly could. And if you think about like a team of our size, where we have 80 people around the world talking to our customers, if we have a new feature, if we update an old bit of our product, we need to update that information in 80 people's heads. And we probably have to say it, you know, six, seven times, as the old saying goes. With support automation, all you need to do is update it once, and it can send that out in a distributed manner to all of your customers. So that's really, really competitive. Yep. So that does a great job of summarizing what businesses could or should do. What should be avoided in this space? When should a chatbot or automation not be implemented? Geez, that's a hard question. It really depends on your business at the end of the day. If you're a freemium sort of model when it comes to your customers, you probably want to delight them a little bit more, despite the fact that they are free to try to get them into that, uh, you know, that paying experience. But uh, in general, what we're seeing with our customers and internally is that there are roughly three different situations or areas in which it's 
it's good to be careful around using automation. So the first one is sensitive topics. Somebody has like a billing P1 where you overcharge them by you know 10x or whatever it might be. You probably don't want to make them go through an extensive sort of automation tree before they get in touch with the human. So that's like sensitive topics. Important to be uh, you know compassionate there with what uh, a person is actually going through. The second one is high touch customers. You're going to have customers, and we have customers that tell us specifically, uh, we do not like this automation thing. We hate it. It makes it for a miserable experience. We're fine waiting longer for a resolution just if we can talk to a human. So if people are specifically telling you that they don't like the way that this feels, the way that this interaction goes, try to improve it. But at the end of the day, it's probably best to respect their wishes if they are fine with sort of the negative consequences of maybe a lot uh, a loss of efficiency on your team if you're not using that automation. And then lastly, it's that, that new customer bucket that I mentioned. So if you have like a, a freemium model, making sure that you're providing a good support experience to those free customers, or even if you know if you have like a hundred customers as opposed to over thirty thousand, like we have, it's probably best to try to delight each and every single one of them because the scale is just so much smaller. Sure, I think on the other end of the spectrum as well, you know, white glove service, your VIP customers, however you define mm-hmm. those, that that could be something to consider too. So Ryan, as the old saying goes, what gets measured gets managed. So measurement is just a big part of your team and our world. How do you go about measuring the impact of automation? So we talked about Roar. Is there anything else that um, you're thinking about? Yeah. Uh, So within Roar, we actually have a, a step lower that we look at, which is two different metrics that boil up into Roar. The first one is coverage rate. So of the conversations that our support team was going to handle, what percent of those are actually is automation given the opportunity to step in on and sending a you know an article suggestion or an answer to try to resolve that conversation and then when a conversation does get a piece of automation trying to suggest a solution what percent of those are actually being resolved so that's the resolution rate and if you multiply those two together you get roar but those are sort of the the deeper level metrics that we look at on the other side of things, we have this, this thing called uh, custom bots for users, which we internally re- refer to as inbound custom bot. Basically, when somebody opens up the intercom messenger and tries to start a conversation, you can give them little buttons and a logic tree to go through to collect information, route things appropriately, so on and so forth. So we're testing this out in UK and Ireland right now. And there are four sort of key metrics that we're looking at here. First one is engagement rate. How often are people actually interacting with this logic tree? Second one, completion rate, how often if they engage with the logic tree, the bot, how often are they actually getting through it? Uh, And then the third and fourth ones are around qualitative feedback. So talking to our customers who have interacted with this flow a couple of times, what do they think? Internally, we're asking people for qualitative feedback as well, because at the end of the day, if we're routing things more appropriately and we're getting more information for our agents on our team, we want to make sure that it's actually helping them in some way. So that's qualitative feedback there. And then Obviously, quantitative spin on that, looking at time to close. So is this actually helping us resolve conversations a little bit faster because we have the information from the onset to solve the question? All right. So looking ahead uh, in the not so distant and distant future, you know, support ops is an area that more and more businesses are investing in. I've previously chatted about this with other support leaders on Inside Intercom. What is the big bet that you would make for the future of support ops? This is a growing industry, so to speak. We're seeing more roles pop up here. What do you think is coming down the line? Interesting question. Uh, I'd I'd say the first thing that we're already kind of seeing is that more and more businesses 
are going to get a support team, a support operations team earlier on in their, in their journey as a business. Cause the value there is, is just starting to become so much more clear, uh, particularly in this automation space. If you think about it, like Garrett's job in, in managing, you know, these, uh, this resolution bot or inbound custom bot with the rise of automation, Garrett's job is basically taking on the job of multiple different individual contributors or managers or however your sort of organization handles automation. So in that world, I think businesses are going to see a very clear sort of benefit in that they can hire this higher paid, higher value sort of employee that can do the job of multiple support people at scale via automation. So that's really compelling. I'd say the second thing is that I think there's going to be a lot more uh, sort of beefy analytics uh, going on in the support operations space. We're already starting to dig into this a little bit, but uh, starting to look at you know how people are actually using their products and drawing direct lines to how how uh, they interact with your support team. So you know what are people doing in your product that leads to the most questions? Building that data bridge between your support team and your product team, I think that's going to be a super big thing that's coming up in the future. And something I love about this is the career pathing element. So you know, great leaders and great companies not only drive excellent productivity and output from their teams, but they also really invest in skill development and building and, you know, hope to see folks on these uh, teams go on to new roles and new teams and and have a nice long run at companies. And that's certainly something that we care a lot about here at Intercom. So the career pathing element is, is also great. And I love that we were able to find someone internally to fill this role for us. And they were sort of uniquely able to do it well. So thinking about, you know, a career in support ops, what would you say are the key skills that, you know, a leader like myself would you know, think about in terms of investing in a support ops team, you know, if you're building your first support ops team or you're growing it, what kind of skills are you looking for there? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I'm definitely biased here, but I think that having people who have done the support job previously provides them a level of insight and empathy at the end of the day that allows them to do the job really well. Cause when you're doing operations, it's really easy to, you know, just get sucked into the numbers and the processes and, you know, the blank Google Docs that you're making things out of. Uh, so having somebody who really can connect personally to the people that you're actually impacting, whether that's, you know, the agents on your support team or your customers is super important. And I think a customer support job, a frontline's customer support job is a really kick-ass way to learn those skills. More specifically around like the, the number side of things, SQL is a big must just because a lot of the reporting out there is just not fleshed out enough for you to do things out of the box. So you need to sort of dig in on your own. So SQL is super important. And then like basic sort of st- statistical analysis skills. You don't need to be running like T-tests most of the time, but being able to, to think about uh, statistics and talk about statistics with people is, is super, super useful. I'd say there's probably also a dash of Excel or Google Sheets wizardry in there in there as well. Definitely. Definitely. All right. I, I have one question for you, Caitlin. Yeah, hit me. On the, on the support ops side of things, what are the things that you're sort of seeing when you're most excited about partnering with a support operations team? And where do you think the industry sort of going there at the, the director, the head of support level? I would say one big thing comes to mind. You know, we kicked off, I think last year, we had a big message for our frontline managers. And that was, 
people, not projects. And, uh, you know, here we are a year or two later and we still have our amazing managers, not only leading great productive teams, but high impact regional or global projects. But I think the rise of the support operations team really allows you to hire great people managers onto your team to really focus on the coaching, skill development, engagement of your, your, your teammates or your agents, whatever you want to, uh, whatever terminology you want to use. So there's a long list here, but that's really the first one that springs to mind is, you know, you're not stretching your frontline leadership across too many things. Again, focus breeds excellence. So that's one that comes to mind. And then, you know, if it wasn't clear here in our conversation today, I'm delighted with the progress that we've been able to make in the automation space. We made up an acronym for a metric, and uh, now it's ubiquitous across the company as it continues <laughs> to climb. We're more and more excited. I think we'd originally wanted to call it ARR, automated resolution rate, but clearly that was going to uh, cause some confusion. Uh, so delighted that we landed on Roar. I'm delighted with the automation gains we're making as well as the focus it gives um, our management team. So I guess with that, Ryan, we will wrap up. I want to say a big giant thank you uh, to you and to all the great support ops leaders out there. I don't know where we would be without you. I'm excited for International Support Operations Appreciation Day to launch coming to a support team near you. But Ryan, really great insights on the automation front, as well as thinking about how to build and expand a support ops team, as well as scale Uh, support experience for customers at growing companies. So great insights. Thank you so, so much for your time and uh, the great partnership. Thanks for supporting us through and through. And thanks for having me today. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Caitlin and Ryan. We'll be back next week with another episode of Inside Intercom, where we chat to Aircall's COO and co-founder, Jonathan Angelou. You don't want to miss it. So make sure you don't by subscribing now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Inside Intercom.